I'm Claire. And I'm Ashley. And this, and this is, is Celebrity Memoir Book Club. Welcome to the Christmas special. Well, this is not the Christmas special. Uh, I mean, it's this, the episode coming out closest to Christmas. Yeah, but I thought next week we were doing like an end of year special. Yeah, the end of the year special. This is our Christmas special. Oh, I'm really upset about the book we've picked for Christmas then. I know. I was trying to like in my brain really quickly figure out how I could uh, turn this as a Christmas episode. And I was like, I guess I would say this is our gift to you because Lord knows we did not enjoy doing it. <laughs> I'll just up top be like, we. I know I've gotten in trouble for yelling at listeners and I know I've gotten in trouble <laughs> for being angry on the cast, but I do want to say I love you guys and that is proof by the fact that me and Ashley read this book that was recommended by a lot of TikTok people and I've never hated anything more in my life, but I got through it and I'm going to do my best to like not turn this into a hate sesh. Yeah, I want this to not be a hate crime, but I do think it would, we have every right to make it such. And I do love you guys. You're my Christmas gift. I'm Jewish, but we have eight listeners and one of you guys for each night of Hanukkah. I really appreciate it. <laughs> um, oh, my God, Ashley. What yeah. was the memoir of your week this week? This week, I would I would call my week um, on again, off again. I've been in many on again, off again relationships, and I'm currently in one with dating apps. Um, I, I was gonna say, like, <laughs> who are you dating? Like, where have I? I know I was like busy one day, but I was like, did she start end and start a boyfriend in that one day that I had a work thing? I am just like very sick of them in this weird. Okay, so here's the problem. Obviously, I have no trouble getting dates. I am beautiful and have a sparkling personality, but <laughs> I do have a lot of trouble getting dates. And no, I mean, it's not that bad. The problem is that I'm not specifically looking for a relationship right now. Like I'm not not looking for a relationship, but I've learned my lesson about actively needing a relationship and just entering one with the first person who also wanted that. And so... You know, I'm just trying to find someone I vibe with. If it's like a serious thing, that's cool. If it's just like a here for the winter thing, that's cool. But if you on a dating app, one of the first questions a lot of people ask these days is what are you looking for here on this app? And so if you say I'm looking for my husband, then you seem like a nut. And if you say I'm not looking for anything that serious, you they're just like, okay, well, when are we fucking? You know what I mean? Like it just really escalates to they're trying to have sex immediately. And so then if you say like, well, I'm not necessarily looking for something serious. I'm just, you know, looking for whatever comes, someone I vibe with, whatever. They're like, oh, yeah, that's totally cool. I'm not looking for anything serious. And let's exchange numbers. And then you're like, we, you haven't asked me any questions about myself yet. Like literally the only question you've even asked is like if I'm down to like bang recklessly. You know what I mean? Which, Which like, I guess is a very telling question. It is a telling question, but I also like sometimes am, <laughs> but like not when I'm asked in that way. Do you know what I mean? Like I don't want to yeah, yeah, feel yeah. like a whore. I just, yeah, I don't mind acting like one. I just buy like, a girl a drink first. <laughs> yeah. And like, let's like act like we're civilized adults here. You At know? least online where it's traceable and then like buy me a drink and, and then like, I've literally had guys be like hey look I'm literally just looking for someone to like hook up with this weekend or something like that and it's like then this is why prostitution should be legal because like you have every right to find someone to like just fuck this weekend but like don't be crude with me you literally haven't even asked me like where I'm from just like pretend for a second you know 
A charade is what I'm looking for. A charouze. (laughs) And so it gets very frustrating. And so then I delete them because I'm like, I'm not in the mood for this. Because also when you have too many like bad interactions in a row, it really sours the rest of them. Yeah. Even if a guy doesn't come in acting shitty at first, I like construe it as shitty. And so then I just have to like walk away, you know? Yeah, I get that. So where are we at right now? You on an app or not on an app? I am on an app right now. As of this morning, I feel like I can handle like a Monday through Wednesday. (laughs) That makes sense. I feel like they get too horny around the weekend. Yeah, they do get too horny on the weekend. And it's also annoying because it's like, I don't know. It's just like a real dilemma because it's like, I also just want to get laid. But like, if you are too. I can't reward this bad behavior out in society. Like, I don't want them to think that it's okay to talk to women like this. Yeah, I get that. It's not. Um, it's not <laughs> I agree and that's where I'm at that's my my week is the on again off again perils of dating apps is what I write about in my memoir what would you write about in your memoir I would chapter this week Claire Parker colon unexpected and that is because <laughs> I spent my week watching a television show called unexpected <laughs> did you ever tell me wait did you ever figure out what happened with um what's his name Max's like rehab situation um he went he missed prom of course he so basically oh, max yeah. is 19 and he's addicted to xanax but the, he wait real quick the background unexpected is a show on tlc about teen pregnancy which comes unexpectedly this often. is crazy but it's just like teen mom but darker if that makes <laughs> sense it's like somehow even more fucked up how crazy is it that tlc became this like demonic source of energy and then like HGTV got invented to like fill the gap that TLC used to like when I was growing up TLC was like fun and quirky I don't even remember what was on TLC what not to wear oh my um, god Stacey London that still exists um, that has its own channel now that's actually that? a network it's the Say Yes to the Dress <laughs> network and it's just I think Say Yes to the Dress was on Me TLC and Mac were watching Say Yes to the Dress yesterday and we were like what are these women wearing they insane. look absolutely insane I was like I've never seen worse dressed women in my life and it did actually turn out to be 2012 and I was like <laughs> all right forgiven the I chunky think- necklace and the like remember baby doll shirts over leggings oh with God. like gladiator sandals of course I remember that of course I lived it um what was I gonna say oh yeah also remember while you were out that show where like two people like two families would swap houses and redesign a room in each other's home well what was the original version of that wasn't there like or maybe it was called like I forgot what it was called there was something called apartment swap or something oh yeah maybe it was that while you were out was like a different renovation surprise situation but this one like two people would swap and like one of them would need a new living room and one of them would need a new bedroom or something and like with the help of a DIY design expert they would in like 48 hours revamp the room and like always do just like a treacherous, cheap, horrific job. Yeah, they and would like, come into somebody's apartment and be like, well, I love aquariums. So I thought it'd be fun to give their master bedroom an aquarium vibe by making everything a waterbed. Yeah, everything. <laughs> we're going to we're going to add this translucent blue gel to all of the walls and now it'll all be that squishy baby book material. <laughs> and then they would have they to would come like home and walk like, in and just like bulldoze property value. It was crazy. One time I saw them paint an entire room like floor to ceiling including the ceiling black all black furniture except for a yellow coffee table I think about it almost every day of my life <laughs> that you know what that reminds me of Sig Ep in college was the frat where I used to party and I remember the floors to the basement that had been painted black and somebody told me it was so that drunk girls would fall because it's like very disorienting to walk on black steps because you can't see you have no depth perception and then especially if you're drunk and especially in heels like you'll trip and 
I like that, like, these fucking repulsive frats are doing extra work to keep people raped in them. <laughs> I, like, I mean, I'm saying it, and I knew coming out it would be, like, disgusting. But now that I'm thinking about it, I'm like, could that be true? Who even said that? Why would they have? I can't think of another reason to have painted your stairs black. It is bad for the perception of depth. And also, think about, like, the one guy who was, like, majoring in engineering or something, who, like, had to take an architecture class, who, like, learned that piece of information came home and was like I have a great idea for this I know how to (laughs) paralyze all of the hottest girls in school they're like what's the hardest part about catching a girl the fact that she can walk away true (laughs) not (laughs) at this Friday basement a literal like dungeon (laughs) they can't climb out where's the stairs (laughs) oh that's damning okay um god back to unexpected (laughs) Just to give you the recap, I don't even, I know this isn't a recap podcast, but I do think the longer we can not talk about Steve-O, the better. (laughs) Basically, Max was addicted to Xanax on this show, and he went to therapy, and he was like, the Xanax isn't the problem. (laughs) And his dad was like, you've been to the hospital four times in the last five months because of Xanax. And he was like, it's not a Xanax problem. And he was like, you fell asleep playing video games, and your neck cranked, and no blood got to your brain for 15 minutes. And he was like, yeah, that's a neck problem (laughs) he's like the problem there was that the blood wasn't getting to my body that had nothing to do with xanax because i've got slow blood (laughs) and then he goes well then like uh, just a couple weeks later you left the house with a buddy and not in 15 minutes i got a call from the fire department that they had found you blue unconscious at the gas station and had to take you to the hospital to resuscitate you and he was like yeah that's because the xanax i bought was cut with fentanyl that was a fentanyl problem not (laughs) xanax (laughs) And so anyway, he um, he was on probation and I guess he obviously wasn't staying sober. So he broke his probation and his lawyer said to him, if you go to rehab for 30 days, you won't have to go to prison for six months. Like it'll look really good to the judge. And him and his girlfriend, his pregnant girlfriend, who, who was. No, she's not pregnant anymore. She's not pregnant. She had a one-year-old daughter. And I've never met a more self-possessed sociopath but than. beautiful. Gorgeous. Her name is Chloe. She had. I mean, I get how Elizabeth Holmes just bulldozed the Walmart executive board. This 17-year-old would just look at you. She was like, yeah, I had a baby senior year, and I'm doing fine. And you're like, I think she actually might be doing fine. It was so crazy how she wasn't allowed to have her boyfriend in her house, and she was just, like, doing okay and, like, still such a bitch to everyone. But in this way, that like, not a moody way, just like a, yeah, I know what's going on. Like, in an Anna Wintour way. Like, almost, she had the confidence of the devil wears Prada. And... Her one thing was that she really wanted to go to prom and she was so mad that Max might miss it because of rehab. And she kept screaming, if you go to rehab and mi- make me miss prom, I'll break up with you. And she kept oh, thinking, and she kept on saying, it's just rehab. Why can't he wait like a week? He doesn't need rehab now. <laughs> yeah. And she kept being like, you don't even need it. She didn't believe in therapy. She's like, you're not on. You're not going to die right now. So why do you need to go to therapy right now? And then he, of course, does miss prom. Uh, the other thing is they keep being like, his, he's only going because his dad may, is making him. They're like, his dad is obsessed with him going to rehab. And then Max and then aside, he goes, yeah, my dad's just like obsessed with me going to rehab because my mom died of prescription pain pill <laughs> overdose. She also is addicted to prescription medication and died. And now he just thinks that like I have a problem too. And they were like, God, your dad's so annoying. <laughs> God, these kids, I respect them anyway he got out of rehab and she went to prom without him all was fine she forgave him but she's like but you do know if you ever do drugs again i will break up with you and max was like okay i believe it um so i actually looked her up on instagram and she has a different boyfriend so 
these girls, I'm, let me tell you something. You don't actually have to worry about the girls getting pregnant in high school because it's like if they're hot enough to fuck in ninth grade, they're going to have another boyfriend. Another girl, Michaela, <laughs> had a baby at 16, was pregnant again by 18. So she had a two-year-old and then she had a newborn. And I'm not kidding. Three weeks after that newborn, they were like, so Michaela's been seeing somebody else. Jesus. <laughs> she, I'm not kidding you, had started talking to him nine months pregnant, texted him the minute the baby was born and was like, we should go on a date. And had like she had a a newborn baby I'm like a baby whose legs hadn't dropped yet like it was still all tight like a butterball chicken i didn't even think about how their legs drop that's such a weird <laughs> thought <laughs> they're all taut up there and she already had a new boyfriend and i was just like god damn having a baby at 18 is so smart because your body <laughs> just like launches back into shape it just you're just ready you're just done it is when that's what we were meant for we should be i mean honestly i do believe we need to like Figure out how to have babies young and then freeze them for later. Okay. This is going to be crazy. (laughs) What I'm about to say is going to be so fucking preposterous. But I think we need to do like a handmaid's tale situation with our own children. (laughs) Where like. Okay. I am worried about what you're (laughs) (laughs) Like eight year old bodies are just like so good at having babies. And I would say 36 to 40 year old women are so good at raising children and having their careers where they need to be so what i think I, needs to happen is like women need to all be having babies at 16 to 18 that are then raised by the grandparents and it's just like you get a year off of high school where you go and they farm out this baby and then they're raised by the older person and then everybody gets to keep their body and pursue a career so like you have this baby and you just like no you won't raise it but you'll raise that baby's baby okay so kind of like abandon the nuclear unit it's a little handsmaid's taily. It's a little the givery, but I also think in many ways it's very, um, it's very communal. It's very like harking back to the old days when I don't want to get into logistics, but I do. <laughs> <laughs> do you see what I'm saying? Though I do fully see what you're saying, and I have one concern that I also can figure out how to get past immediately. This does render men useless because you're not gonna like st- like. That does a man is never going to be raising his biological seed because if like, first of all, who do you pick to have a baby with? I guess maybe they would just like mix sperm in a milk jug or something and you just get what you get. Um, I think you just have to hope that you're you just have to hope that your high school boyfriend has good genes. Like, yeah, I, do I think we have to then, raise our daughters better to be picking like if we raise them like whoever you have sex with now will have. Right. But then so then after they like have a career and find themselves and then they're raising their new grandkid is the original baby daddy also like or do they like find new guys and end up marrying somebody else like after like when he's like 25 and they together will marry will raise her her biological child's grandchild so a guy though has no every father is a stepfather yes Okay, that's that's basically And honestly, my thing. can I say something? I know we're talking it out and it sounds insane, but I actually think this is the strongest possible bond for a a male raising a son. Do you know what I mean? I think if all men like release their genetic claim over their children, it would actually like reduce tensions a great deal. Yeah, it wouldn't have this like weird patriarchal obsession because like they're just like raising a boy to be the best. There'd man. be like no Oedipus, I want to murder my dad. There'd be like there'd just be like a genuine here's how you be be good in the community. Yeah, like a man raising a boy to become the best. Like man. every and dad would be like, have coach energy. 
And it's not going to be like my son will blah, blah, blah. Imagine because if he's every, my yes. seed. Like yeah. you're really releasing him from that obsession. I think I really did something. <laughs> okay. I do think we're going to get like negative reviews for this conversation. <laughs> And I think those people are small minded. <laughs> like I really think those people need to like oh god, I've we have to I have to write this down. I have a blog. Okay. Post. I mean it's literally on a podcast for eternity. <laughs> That's one thing we've learned. Podcasts are like cockroaches. You can't nuke them. Okay. Literally someday after the earth explodes, all we'll have is Twinkies podcasts and cockroaches. And podcasters who are cockroaches. <laughs> 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 um, I'm actually really excited for the New World Order and for them to stumble upon this podcast and be like, that girl actually had the closest, like, had the best idea out of anybody. Yes. I hope in the, the New World Order. The Twinkies. Oh, my God. Someone called us. Um, I was going to do speaking of reviews and thank our most recent reviewers. Um, speaking of reviews, I want to thank our reviewers this week. Delusional Banana, I really appreciate your five-star review. I do want to say calling us 30 was kind of mean, but... I appreciate you and <laughs> Y V V H a bunch of letters, whatever. Um, I want to thank you so much for the five star review. And she says her friend George, she's behind because her friend makes fun of her. Cause she thought she had to read all the books before listening to the episodes, which I appreciate immensely. She says her friend Georgia, who I think is Georgia's. Yes, probably. If you were um, going to buy the books, just subscribe to our Patreon with all that money you're saving, baby. Yeah, we'll, um, I mean, and read the books along with us if you want to. If yeah. you're reading the books along with us, DM us and we'll give you advanced information so you can read ahead. Um, and I, Oh, just to circle out my psychotic ideas. My point is I had a, a real love affair with Unexpected this week. And then yesterday I watched the season premiere for this new season. And I, I turned to Mac and said, I actually do not think I want to keep watching this. It's too fucking dark. Yeah, I will say whenever. Is it a new cast for a new season? Um, it's like 80% new cast and one old family. I do think that gives you a good opportunity to cut loose. Like, yeah, I'm not, you're not invested. invested in the stories yet. That's how I felt about Skins. Smart. Um. Anyway, so should we get into this week's book? Yeah. How do you want to start? Should we do our 45 seconds of hatred up top? Or Wait, should I say my quick thing about the hot topic this week? If you want to. Okay, before we get into this week's book, Ashley hasn't read the, the essay circling the internet right now, which is, of course, the L essay on the journalist who left her perfect Brooklyn life to date Martin Shkreli. It's fucking sick. I just want to do it. If you haven't read it, pause, go read it. It's like a four minute read. You'll breeze right through it. It's on L.com. Um, a lot of people had the take that she is someone who is in an abusive relationship and was just another mark by a master manipulator. I know we got a lot of flack on this podcast for being victim blamey. I don't think I'm victim blamey. I think that's <laughs> I don't think I victim blamey. I think I give up women a lot of sympathy and stuff. I will say I think it's this weird like feminine like faux feminist overreach to call this woman the the recipient of abuse though or somebody who's like blinded by abuse it's like she's doing something you don't agree with and your way of censoring her is by saying oh she just doesn't know how bad she has it and I kind of like disagree with that from the idea of giving women agency my take is not that she is somebody who was manipulated and tricked into a relationship with Martin Shkreli my analysis is that she got addicted to the fame and the notoriety that came with being associated with his name if you look at the article she never talks about him they were like oh she, he negged her he negged her he negged her professionally but he does that to every re reporter 
He never like negged her and then gave her compliments and then negged her and gave her compliments romantically. What happened and what she recalls when falling in love with him was things like feeling like his quote politician's wife or going to Princeton with him and having the dean of Princeton shake her hand and having him call her out uh, say her name in a speech and feeling like giddy about it about like all of his fans coming to the courthouse and her going out to drinks with them and like when he goes to the bathroom she had to keep everybody she got to play hostess for all of his supporters and being looked to as the girlfriend of this like weird idiot who made people feel things and because of that she got to be spoken about so she is a lot like our book Book of the week this week. I think she's addicted she to the is- fame. And, and I was saying it reminded me a lot personally of, do you remember how long I kept the Nick Mullen Olympics opening ceremony party bit going? Mm-hmm. And I was like, I mean, I was like, oh, I have a crush on Nick Mullen. I have a crush on Nick Mullen. But I didn't have a crush on Nick Mullen. I had a, a love affair with the fact that being somewhat associated with Nick Mullen in that way got his legions of fans to like all follow me on Instagram, to talk about me on Reddit. Like it made yeah. me a part of this world through like, I mean, no consent of his own. I just like put out there that I liked him. It linked us romantically in this vague way. And then I got like all this kickback. Wow. You were a little Steve-O in that way. (laughs) I mean, we're literally doing a podcast. We're sick people, Ashley. I know, but we're not like Steve-O sick. (laughs) No, we're not Steve-O sick. But I'm just saying I immediately recognized in her that that's what she's doing. And like, I mean, the story with this woman is she divorced her husband. Martin Shkreli was already in jail. She started visiting him. She told him she loved him. She asked if she could kiss him. They started dating. And then she hasn't, they've never had sex. They've never dated outside of jail. Once they have sex, she'll be free of it. She She needs to get the ick. She hasn't seen him in a month, in a year since COVID because of the COVID stuff. She hasn't been able to go visit him in a year. On top of that, six months ago, here's the kicker. Here's what the article gets insane. This is in the very last paragraph. Six months ago, she told him she was doing this article for Elle where she was going to come out publicly with her relationship. And he said, if you do that, I will stop talking to you. And then she didn't stop doing that. And he broke up with her. So she really, it's for the publicity. Because he, now we're talking about the article. Exactly. And, we're talking and he about has her. not spoken to her since. When Elle reached out to him for comment, he said, I wish her best of luck in her future endeavors. And she was like, see, like, I think that means that we'll meet again. Like, sh- they haven't spoken at all in six months. She is now on Twitter and on Clubhouse, like, taking interviews, responding to literally every DM. She is addicted to the fame. And it really reminds me of somebody, all those women who date Charles Manson in jail. Yeah. None of those women were manipulated. Like, obviously, he is a master manipulator and he is whatever. But those women know that if they they can go to the Daily Mail and say, I'm his girlfriend now. They love the attention that comes with dating, like, a, the yeah. negative attention that comes with dating him. And so I'm just saying, I think it's, like, weirdly not feminist to say that she has agency. I think it's not every woman in a relationship that you don't like is being manipulated. She is somebody who very much wanted to be famous she like she was a journalist for the Bloomberg uh news or whatever and I think she got like a taste of the association and was and addicted, addicted to, to it. it well I'm happy for her she's getting everything she wanted I mean she and she really didn't have to is. bone Martin Scarelli yeah she really came out of it fucking genius and he can't even come out and say that they're not dating because he's still in jail for another four years <laughs> <laughs> what if in four years he's he like comes out and like refutes everything and then she gets another fucking month in the spotlight i mean she i'm sure that's she's trying to she tried to sell a book about him nobody bought it so then she sold the pitch as a movie right so she's gonna get to like make a movie about him and then if it comes out while he's still in jail she'll have to run around and do all the press like i mean it's genius she is smart a smart little lady i'm gonna fucking weekend at bernie mckenzie Write a book about him. Is that where you kill him and carry him around like a body? <laughs> yeah, but I'll be like his P. It'll be like the new PR version where I'm like, Max not taking comment right now, but I'll do this E interview. 
why is Mac getting e interviews? <laughs> I think the one problem with this is that he might be the least famous person in the world. <laughs> I love Mackenzie to death. I think he has a million great qualities. He is truly so unfamous. I feel like he's more famous than us in a weird way. Because <laughs> he doesn't want it, and that gives him power. Exactly. All right. Let's now can we talk hell. about Stevie? Unfortunately. Steve. Oh. What if we just kept getting the vowel wrong? Stevie? <laughs> Steva? <laughs> Steve XY. He, he was born without a belly button. He em- emerged in the forest. So he was born with a belly button. And do you know what else he was born with, ladies and gentlemen? Tons of fucking money. A silver spoon uh, in his mouth that he took out and promptly put up his ass. (laughs) (laughs) Steve-O is a rich kid who's like only rich kid sympathy at the time was that he like didn't identify as rich. And so he like felt weird that he was like richer than his towny friends. That was his big struggle growing up. Um, That he had a bad personality because he was always trying to impress people and act annoying and he was loud and obnoxious and also that he just was richer than the people that he thought were cool and wanted to hang out with. So his dad was like... Uh, the I mean, president of Pepsi and well, Nabisco mm-hmm. and like run, I mean he did all the he was in the food industry running the show they moved a lot between London US and Canada when he was a baby he even lived in Venezuela for a year and Portugal or uh, Brazil for a year he claims at one point he was fluent in all three languages and I was like I don't even think you're thru- fluent in English now so yeah that's pretty true but um they moved every year every I guess two every years. time you put a staple in your ass it like takes a little bit of language out of you <laughs> if anything you would think it would like seal up the the seams and keep them stuck in like steam you know what i mean you can make fucking dumplings in that body <laughs> <laughs> anyway so he was moving around a lot he's so funny because i mean long story short and let me say it was a long story it's he a long ends book. up going to rehab and much like portia he writes this book with what seems like zero true self knowledge one of my favorite lines in the whole book is that so he was always a menace. He like everyone hated him. Every student hated him. Every teacher hated him. The teachers would be like like, you know, what I mean? he was the kind of kid who would show up and just try to get attention would like burn the school to the crisp and be like, see, his big thing was they're he was all obs- looking at me now. <laughs> he was obsessed with blood. So he was always Ugh. like getting himself as injured as possible and then rubbing the blood all over his face. Um, he was always jumping out of things. I mean, he was always doing things and it was fully bl- brought on. So he had a deathly alcoholic mother and then he had a pretty absentee, like rich dad. And what's interesting is he's like, my dad was always getting me to perform for him and his friends. Like whenever yeah. he was home and he had friends, he was like, watch my son will do a hundred pushups for a dollar. And then he couldn't one crazy memory Wait. is when he says my dad, when I like failed all of my classes once in like first or second grade, my dad took me outside and said, I'll give you 10 bucks. If you can throw a football hard enough, it breaks my finger. <laughs> Which is like, okay, well, you got the son you asked for. That's true. So I want to just pause really quick. For anyone who's not familiar, Steve O, a.k.a. Stephen Glover, um, is a... Um, where was he born? London or Canada? He was born in London. L- okay, so he was born in London. His, his family's from Canada. Family's from Canada. He was raised in the places that Claire said. He grew up to go to clown college. He ended up one of the original members of Jackass, which was a TV show. And then now they're filming the fourth movie. Um, He was also a cast member of the TV show Wild Boys. Um, He was also the star of Dr. Steve O. He also released a ton of his own stunts. So he is basically a stunt man slash guy who does stupid shit for attention. I mean, he literally was a jackass. He was a professional jackass. 
Yeah, I mean, in this memoir, he calls himself a professional idiot. And I think as an idiot, I don't claim him. Yeah, he's not <laughs> an idiot. He's a jackass because he's yeah. he's hostile and he's angry and he's always on. An idiot is kind, but he is like... He's not kind. He's somebody here to fuck up your life. Yes. So let's comb through his life. So we talked a little bit about his childhood already. His mom was a raging alcoholic. Not raging. Can she I was say a, one a of pretty the, calm alcoholic. <laughs> the problem with Steve-O's book is that he's such a little fame whore and he's, he wants so much credit for what emerges from an early age is that he's always doing tricks and insane thing for attention. Right. The problem is, even though now he's like 45, he still like takes such pride in every psychotic little trick he ever did in his whole life mm-hmm. that the book is like truly 10 times long as it needs to be because every stunt he ever pulled from the age of two on he like remembers and describes in great detail. It's yeah. such hard reading. Like he talks about like picking up skateboarding when he was in middle school and like learning the tricks and like how much he fell down skateboarding to impress people. And here's then he, how I learned how to do an ollie. Here's how my friend learned to do an ollie. Here's was eighth grade. Like, and then in, yeah. at the end of eighth grade, I picked the, I mean, honestly, I would like read a hundred learn- pages and not even know what day, like what year it is and be like, this is just two months later. How could we have been a hundred pages in two months? It's insane. Yeah. I mean a lot of, so eventually his mom, his parents ended up splitting up and his Wait, mom, you're missing what I think is the craziest part what? of his childhood. So his mom is a raging alcoholic. His dad's in deep denial. At one point, his mom gets non-Hodgkin's uh, lymphoma. Oh, I forgot about that. And spends a year in chemo treatments, saying that she needs to do everything on her own for her own self-esteem because it, it'll make her feel better about herself. Only for them to find out that she fully lied about having cancer and she just had really bad hang. She just like wanted to have the freedom to get as hungover as she needed. And to have, like, I think she also wanted attention from the dad because yeah. the dad was pretty absent, traveled a lot for work. I think that he really thought he would be, like, a big, fancy career man and have, like, the perfect wife at home handling shit. And what he got was, like, a woman who di- didn't want that. She just drank a lot and didn't know I how mean, she drank herself to death, ultimately. Yeah. I mean, her his grandfather was also an alcoholic who had killed himself when steve was one. Yeah. So I think that that was very difficult because he was sort of, I don't think, I mean, it literally was like a work, a workaholic dad and a stay at home mom. And they, but like Steve-O was not at all parented. You know what I mean? Like, I think yeah. he thought I'll work all the time. She'll stay at home and watch the kids and she would just get drunk and was actually go to her room the entire time. Yeah. And like, she wasn't a raging alcoholic. She would just like get drunk and stay in her room and like pass out. And that was it. She like didn't talk to them. She didn't do really much parenting, but it seems like she was like fun and involved when she wasn't drunk. She was just mostly drunk. I don't know if she Which was is- fun and involved. I mean, he tells that story about when he was um, at clown college and his cousin was studying to be a mortician and his mom and his aunt would just sit around the table and talk about whose son was a bigger loser, <laughs> which actually is so funny. I mean, she does. He does mention like a handful of times how much his mom would like dunk on him. Like even after she got really sick, she like would still like get it together enough just to like make fun of him a little bit. And yeah, so literally it does. she had a brain aneurysm and was a vegetable. And yet when he came to be like, hey, I want someone to write my book, she'd be like, who the fuck would write that? <laughs> <laughs> like she would come out of a literal comatose state to be like, you're so stupid. <laughs> and then like, so that made me think she was fun. <laughs> she does seem funny. Yeah. So anyway. So, yeah, his mom faked cancer. It, it was like definitely a tough childhood ish in a way. He has no like it was tough for him but it wasn't relatively to the childhood most people have tough do you know what I mean no I disagree was your mom blacked out for weeks on end without well I'm also thinking of like 
I don't know, like Kendra, Demi, like those people. I don't know. I think he, I'm not saying that, like, obviously he was rich. Yeah. But I do think he had like no parental service. It's like very, no, he cl- did have a tough childhood. Okay. I take it back. I mean, and it's just very clear, like where his problems, came. I feel like there is something in his body that made it, took him to the, like the next extreme that most people physically could not handle. He, he finds yeah. out at one point that his, like resting heart rate is like 45 beats a minute, which is like Lance Armstrong level low. Yeah. Like I do think he could have been like Michael Phelps if he had had a lick of direction. I mean, maybe. Yeah. He's like obviously physically just like, like able some- to do insane things. I mean, he talks about that time that he goes and they do that blood pressure medication on him to see how high they, if they could get him to like a deathly level of blood pressure and he won't die. And they said like they were freaked out by how much medication it took to yeah. get him high. So I guess let's fast forward to those times, college. Oh, wait. And- Hold on. I have one more uh-huh. little line I want to say about him. Something that made me laugh, though, because he has like so little capacity for introspection or like acknowledge- like he just seems so out of touch with anything. As he talks about, so they moved every two years and he goes, that might have sounded like a really traumatic childhood, but I actually really liked it because within those two years, I would fuck up everything and burn every bridge and make everyone in town hate me so much that I didn't mind moving. So it was oh actually God. pretty good for me to be moving all the time. And I was like, okay, you're so close. <laughs> you're so close. <laughs> I will Jesus. say he was. <laughs> yeah, no, he's a fucking mess. Um, so anyway, so he goes. So what I was going to say earlier is the place after his parents split up, his mom kind of settled in Miami. And so he ended up going to one of those Florida colleges. I don't know. I don't know the Would difference you, between them. You Miami. OK. Well, I will say so in high school, he got into skateboarding and that got him into the world of camcording. Yes. Which was important because he did like from a very early age, love to do tricks and recognize he wasn't actually good at skateboarding as he was like getting hurt. And, like, even in high school, he was obsessed with, like, yeah, creating videos of himself hurting film, himself. Like, from a pretty early age, he was, like, doing flips off of roofs into pools and filming it for literally no reason at that point. Because nothing really existed. There was no reason for it at that point. It was just to, like, show people in, like, high school class. Like, he would, like, yeah. burn the tape to people's house. And but he would, I mean, like, make people, school, which sounds deeply intolerable. Can you imagine if some kid is, like... Like, not even watch me do a backflip, but, like, the other day I did a backflip. Here's the recording of it. Let me rewind. I'd be like, I'm going to kill myself. (laughs) I mean, but I just want to say, even before college, he was deeply fucked up. He was obsessed with, like, Motley Crue. Mm -hmm. And he was obsessed with, like, what what fuck-ups they were. Like, he specifically liked that they were so dangerous that and out of control. And he talks about when he was 16, getting so drunk with his friend who was alone at home, that one of them walked through a glass door and broke the whole door in the police called and like found them just like lying in pools of his blood and he's like he would have died if the the neighbors the neighbors thought there was a break-in oh my so, god So i mean by 16 years old he was already like this close to death honestly he should have been dead at 14 i cannot believe he's alive to tell this tale me either um yeah so he was obsessed with motley Crue, who was a band known for partying so hard that nikki six literally died twice in the 80s so at that point um I think it was like 86 was like the main time that Nikki six died. So like, <laughs> you know, I, I think he was in high school in like the nineties, yeah. early nineties probably. So that was like fresh off the press, you know? Um, and that was like his key inspiration. Um, and so, yeah, so then he goes to college and in college he is failing. Um, he has no interest in really going to classes. He has interest in like getting fucked up and, he, like, finally starts banging, I think. Um, he, like, even mentions... He talks a weird amount about how, like, bad at sex he is. 
I guess he has a, a premature ejaculation problem. Yeah, which like definitely checks out with his like over enthusiasm. <laughs> like his over enthusiastic demeanor. I feel like of course he would come early, but like it's just like I don't think He's we actually need oriented. I just don't think we needed any of that information. Like, there's a lot of information in here we don't need, but, like, what he's like in bed, especially at, like, 20, I'm like, I don't I don't, know but I think to this needed. day he comes early. Like, that's, like, it comes up throughout the entire book. Like, that's, like, a big part of his personality, and, like, I think they named his tour, like, the early coming. Like, his entire, like, I mean, okay, it was as important like to that it is, it is that, like, you go on dates. Like, it was, like, a <laughs> cornerstone of his act is that he comes too quick. Disgusting. Um. Anyway, so he goes to college. He keeps... I don't, why did he get kicked out of the dorms? There was like a whole situation. He ended up getting kicked out of the dorms and couch surfing for a while. And then he dropped out and then like would come back and couch surf for a while. It was just like a, there was like probably like 18 to 24 or like whenever Jackass started was him like getting kicked out of things and couch surfing for a while. And then just like hitchhiking with people to another state and like doing drug trials and just like being a fuck up. And also filming stunts that whole time. And he decides during that time that his actual career path is being a stuntman. Um, and that is something he must accomplish. So he's collecting these tapes. He ends up getting sponsored as a skateboarder by like some nonsense sponsorship. Like someone who just like gives him free t-shirts and is like, you're a sponsored skateboarder. And through that, he becomes acquainted with a magazine, a skateboard magazine at the time called Big Brother that um, became interested in his stunts and not even became interested, but he would, like, shove these stunts down their throats. And, like, he ended up on the cover of this Big Brother magazine. And the person who ran that magazine ended up being the creator of Jackass. Yes. So he spends several years just, like, being a fucking jackass full time. Yeah. I mean, a huge time. Like, there's a story about how he's really drunk and he's driving with this girl. And he keeps making an illegal left turn across the highway, like, blacked out like over and over like he keeps getting lost and making the same turn over and over again and finally when he gets pulled over he tells the officer he just needs a nap and they throw him in jail and then he gets into jail and he starts writing his memoir because he's like sure he's gonna be famous like he is such a fucking megalomaniac he's like for a lot of people this would have been a rock bottom but for me I knew I was on the cusp of greatness yeah so also during this time the one time that he does anything that feels even remotely on the track to doing something positive is he ends up getting into like the ringling brothers clown college um he drives to like Colorado or somewhere where he's able to audition for this clown college that's actually quite elite like 20 people get in it's like a huge deal to be in the Ringling Brothers clown college he gets in he goes just get in but he like gets in it's the school is free but like books and stilts or whatever are extra and he gets a scholarship yes so they basically pay for all of his clown equipment and he graduates clown college and um is able to now be like a certified clown, but he does not get a job with the actual circus because he's too much of a fucking train wreck, I guess. Um, And so from there, he's able to do like clown gigs. You know what I mean? Just like go to kids' birthday parties and juggle. And he ends up getting a job on a cruise ship with a clown troupe that he, with people he met through clown college. Well, I think you're missing a big point here. Well, I was going to say what happens right before he goes on this cruise is his mom suffers an enormous aneurysm. Mm-hmm. Um and becomes basically a vegetable, but does not die, and so requires pretty much round the clock care for the next, what like 
seven years. So Steve-O, who was living with his sister out in Arizona at the time, the two of them moved back home. She has a full-time job as a journalist. She has to quit that and become a school teacher so that she can take care of the mom. Steve-O, who is unemployed this whole time, barely hangs out. He's there for like six months unemployed with nothing to do, but still will not take care of his mom, even though his sister has had to now give up her career. Yeah, and she's now like working during the day and then like taking care of the mom. And the mom had a boyfriend who I think stayed that whole time. But like, I don't know. It was just like Steve-O was really the only person who had like the time to like be a full-time caretaker and just like didn't do it. And then one thing that like really repulsed me is after his mom passes away, he says that he's like proud of how they as a – um, as a group handled her. Yeah. They were like, like, we did a really good thing from taking, we did a really good job taking care of my mom. In the end, he was like, we were really, yeah. And it's like, we, your sister turned her entire life upside down to be a full-time caretaker. And you are a literal train wreck. Like, fuck you. <laughs> and so he, he gets this invitation to basically be on an improv troupe on a cruise where like they get to go around and do tricks or whatever. And he takes it. And he's like, look, I was going to be away from my mom from six, for six months, but I realized that this is what she wanted for me. She wanted me to be successful. She wanted me to have a job. And there's this aneurysm had already ruined my mom's life and Cindy's life. So why should it ruin a third life? And it was like, I mean, it, you didn't have a life. Why did it have to ruin Cindy's? Like, it was so yeah. insane that he took this job and just, like, abandoned Cindy, who was waking up at 1 and 5 a.m. to make sure their mom was, like, turned so that she didn't get bed sores. It's, like, really fucking sick. Um... And he just, like, justifies everything. Like you just said, he was like, well, you know, my mom wouldn't have wanted all of us to be school teachers instead of, like... Yeah, our dreams. Like, whatever, I mean, boat at clowns. one point, when she finally dies five years later, Cindy's like, we should be with her as she dies. And he's like, I don't think she would want that. She would want to go with dignity. So let's just not look at her. Yeah, no, insane. And he, like, literally... During, like, one moment of clarity later is, like, maybe I was wrong about that. But I mean, like, the entire <laughs> time he's doing jackass, his mom is at home, a vegetable in his house with Cindy, like, strapped to her side taking care of her. And he's, like, touring around the city being, like, hey, I'm doing what my mom would have wanted. This is what's best for my mom. Yeah, it's absolutely insane. And um, getting into jackass, the first couple years of jackass, he was paid – Nothing like a few thousand dollars. He was paid like I think he by got twelve hundred dollars. <laughs> he got twelve hundred dollars for the first season, and then he got two thousand dollars per episode for the next eighteen episodes, which was the next two seasons. Yeah, and so it's not like he, was, like, he still broke as shit, right? But like what I'm saying is, obviously he was able to turn it into like quite a bit of fame, but it's not like he was like leaving his mom there to get bed sores because he like had this insane opportunity and he'd be able to like send money home and help support yeah, or something he never like that. Was like, I'm going to send this money home. He, so he makes $12,000 on the cruise ship. He's being paid in cash. There's no taxes. All of his room and board is taken care of. The minute he gets off, he uses all of that money to buy stilts and a one-way ticket to, to uh, LA, to LA to audition for Jackass. Yeah. He and not a even, dollar he didn't even home. get an audition. He, found out that this show was going to be happening and so he was like I'll just get in front of these guys that I met through like skateboard magazine stunts and um and then I'll be able to like like once I'm in front of them doing cool tricks they'll have no choice but to include me and not to mention he could have very easily done jackass and then got back home those first couple of seasons they would shoot his entire section in five days because they couldn't stand to be around him yeah 
Yeah. I mean, they literally included him begrudgingly because he, like, made for great TV. They were like, he literally would die for us. So I guess we can deal with him for five days for truly one decimal percentage of the money we're about to make. Yeah. I mean, that's literally. And, like, they eventually grew to, like, like and appreciate him, I guess. Like, it seems like they're all friends now. But, like. They keep saying that, like, if you're around him long enough, you realize he's, like, not that bad of a guy. And he's, like, deep down. I don't know. I was around him for 300 pages. And I, like, want him dead. He. I feel like we're not we're gonna go back and justify why we hate him so much but he shows no remorse he wasn't there for his mom while she was laying there dying for five years and like beyond that it was like in every instance there's not somebody he wouldn't fuck over if you invited him to your house he would have peed on your dad if you like he has this girlfriend in high in college and she gets a summer job and this is before any of the jackets so he gets a summer job and so he just shows up at her house one day and his parents very kindly take no let's okay so he has this girlfriend they together are gonna they have a summer job at an overnight camp in like upstate new york and she's from staten island so they're gonna stay at his parent her parents house for like a little bit no you're wrong or he has the job upstate so he's gonna crash there he gets fired almost immediately and just shows up back at their house and yeah, it's yeah. like i'm doing the summer here now and, and they he- take him in get him another job at their family friend's place he gets fired from that the first day as well because he was so fucked up he was like drunk and doing ketamine in front of the kids at the daycare or the, at the summer camp and then he kept getting fucked up at his their friends and then he would get like blackout drunk every night at the bar show up to their house break things one night he peed the bed like 10 times yeah so one night she comes in he (laughs) pees all over her bed he tries to like he breaks the washer machine he pees everywhere she's like that wasn't even like the one night he peed he just kept peeing everywhere (laughs) (laughs) so disgusting yeah this is i mean this is literally just like how he treats a family that like let him crash there for the summer and I mean, and he has no regard for anyone. The amount of things he peed on and like the amount of things he would light on fire. Like you, he would meet your grandma and be like, I fucked your do- granddaughter in your bed. Like he just was so he was always getting on planes and, and smoking and throwing a fit and calling the it seems like he really hates uh, airline stewardesses because he's always calling them faggots. Yeah. And like why? Yeah. He talks about one time where he smoked on a plane because he saw the sign in the bathroom said no tampering with the smoke detector. So he's like, I won't tamper with the smoke detector. I'll just smoke and it'll beep. And that's fine because I didn't tamper with it. And that's not against the law. And they were like, what the fuck is wrong with you? And then he still calls the the flight marshals idiots because he's like, they didn't know the law. He then he's in Panama City. He can't get back on a flight. He needs to get to Atlanta. So he gets a car service from Panama City to take him to Atlanta. He brings two girls with him. He fucks them each in the back of the car and then leaves them in the car and gets on a flight out of Atlanta. Like with no regard for the driver, no regard for the like, it's so disgusting. He tells the way- a story about, oh, my God, he goes to a college campus and he's like so fucked up and like ketamine, PCP, coked out of his mind. He's so drunk. He can't even do anything so he so everyone's bored so he starts calling up the people from the audience and starts saying try and run as fast as you can into the bouncers which is like disrespectful to the bouncers and then he tells the bouncers to like stop them so some natural kid runs into a bouncer and gets picked up and thrown on his head and spiked and like yeah the kid ends up getting like super concussed um another girl he was like flashed him so he had her like freeze her it was like snowing so he had her freeze her boobs to a pole and then peed on her boobs to get them unstuck and then he's like even after i degraded her like that she still had sex with me like i mean every night he was like taking a shit on somebody and so this is all like sort of bleeding into when he was started doing live shows with his jackass fame but like even before one of the reasons so like during the years when he was just driving around doing stunts trying to get noticed trying to like 
make something of himself, I guess. I don't even know what he was like really trying to do. He kept saying he was trying to become a stuntman, but like in what way really? Like he sort of talks about how like broke and like down and out he was and like living in his car and tries to get some, and it's like the car your rich parents bought you. Like shut the fuck up. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, and it also, it really, it goes from this isn't a rags to riches story. It's like a guy who like lost everything, including the respect of everyone he ever knew because he fucking sucks. And then somehow turned being like the most repulsive person alive into a career. I mean, the amount of cars that just get ditched by him. Yeah. How many uh, cars did he just leave in the tow truck area? I think he left one in the tow truck area. He left that one, that one that got stolen by those guys who like robbed him in Texas or something. No, he brought, he got robbed in Texas cause he was an idiot, but then he, they had that car and then he loaned his car to oh, a drug dealer one, and they one, like left one. it on the side of the road. But then there was, but he left that. He just like abandoned it, but he had already abandoned a car at that point. And then when he was an adult, he abandoned a different car in LA. God, he sucks so bad. So he ended up getting a couple of DUIs. And, like, honestly, not enough. One thing I wanted to talk about is, like, the way... So, there was, like, a warrant out for his arrest for, like, a good amount of the time that he was famous for Jackass that never didn't get acted on until, like, 10 years late. Like, it was a while that there was a warrant out for his arrest. And because um, he was famous and people would recognize him in the street and, like, cops would recognize him, they just, like, didn't arrest him for it. Like, it was, like, this insane amount of, like arrogance and privilege that was like getting proven right it was awful and then and so and it started like what was annoying as a teenager became like disrespectful and fucked up as a jackass and then he got i mean he got more and more and more into drugs by the time he was in jackass the movie i mean at one point he says he would get a case of whippets which is 600 whippets and go through them in a day oh my god he was doing coke benders days on i mean he was doing more coke than i'd ever heard in my life like he was doing ketamine yeah. pcp he later when he goes to rehab he talks about like drinking like oil cleaner and aluminum foil i mean he would do anything he could get his hands on and then he just started being downright abusive and he, it was yeah. like he would fuck a girl that night and if she said something that annoyed him he would throw a lamp at her and kick her out and he was just screaming at everybody he was fighting anyone who looked at him weird he would like you know what i mean and he always had a bounce or he had a security guard so he like had no fear of anybody doing retributions like mm-hmm. yeah and he even talks about in like a moment like one of the things that I think he is like weirdly lucid about, but also like doesn't acknowledge how fucked up it is, is he says that like he would act much worse when he was like doing jackass stuff and had a security guard yeah. with him. Cause he was like, I knew that if I like, um, got in people's faces and like acted like a dumbass and they tried to fight me, I had backup who would like fight for me. I mean, I and think it's like what the fuck is like, he doesn't really acknowledge that thought process at all he just says that it exists he's like that was my thought process and he doesn't like introspect at any point johnny knoxville even says he's like look everybody on, on the team was an asshole obviously but he was like steve-o was worse because he never turned it off and on top of that there was like an anger under him and he like always kind of knew what he was doing and it was embarrassing to be around and he talks a lot about like he's like obviously he was always drunk and fucked up to some extent but sometimes he would with purpose pee on the red carpet in front of his four-year-old niece pee in a bathtub with a model sitting in it pee. yeah i mean yeah he was at like a nightclub where the models were all in bath clubs and like he talks about how he thought it would be funny to just like go pee in all the bathtubs and it's like what the fuck are you talking about <laughs> i mean everything he did with, and then sometimes he does think he's like really like a, has the more he, one time he talks about 
um, how he believes he was allowed to say the N-word all the time. And so he would say the N-word all the time. And he ran into Mike Tyson, all coked out at a party and like just like ranted and roved at him about how he was helping the fight for equality by continuing to say the N-word. And he goes, Mike Tyson said that I'm really smart. And I was like, did he? Also, and he aren't some- Mike Tyson's brains jello? <laughs> but I mean, he like, so... There's no introspection, but every once in a while he'll justify something he did and act like it was for some noble cause. So like that bathroom thing or the bathtub thing where he was at a party where all, all the models had bikinis on and were sitting in bathtubs. He claimed he thought it was degrading to have the women have to just sit in bathtubs. So by peeing in the bathtubs, they couldn't be there anymore and now freed them. Yeah, they had the rest of the night off and that was like somehow noble of him. And he like even justifies his drug use at one point by being like when we were filming Wild Boys in Africa, I like saw the amount of poverty that exists in this world and so I just like had to drown it out with more drugs and it's like what the fuck are you talking about um oh my god some of his like coming to moments are so horrific he has one early on about so his dad was this super rich president of like Nabisco and like you know he bobbed around all these companies but he remembers as a child going with his dad to Kenya where they had factories and seeing people live in these or work in these horrible, horrible working conditions. And when he asked his dad about it, his dad said, there's not that many jobs in this country, so they better be happy with it because there are people who would work harder for even less. And he goes, that was an important lesson to me because later when I was on the film of, uh, on the set of Jackass, one of our cameramen complained that he got paid terribly. And I remember thinking, well, that's just economics 101. If you wanted to be paid more, you should probably have found a better skill and worked hard at it. And I was just like, what the? Fuck? What a disgusting idea to come to. I mean, we can't even get into all the details. Like, I will say something about this book is for somebody who was on Whippets, PCP, and like meth, weed, Coke. He has a remarkable memory. He's a <laughs> remarkable memory to the point where he's like, when we were on the clown ship, here's who taught me how to eat glass. Here's who taught me that. Like everything is remembered with first and last name, such detail. It's really insane. But so basically he does jackass. He gets more and more into drugs. It's ins- I mean, it's the same story over and over. He won't stop being insane. He like learns a cool stunt, ends up getting famous for it, treats people around him horribly the end but he's absolutely <laughs> addicted to the fame so as as soon as he reaches a certain level of fame he's able to like start harassing other celebrities jackass three oh no i guess i didn't do jackass three eventually by 2007 he has to go to rehab because he's so fucking out of control he has this thing called the rad email list god this was insane so I basically mean, he has like no work prospects at this point like his third show dr steve had been canceled because it was literally one of the stunts on steve they found a virgin and had him get sucked off by a prostitute in a sperm bank and it was on usa network and they were just like yeah we can't ever show this and also everyone who saw this needs to claim ladies to swear to god they won't tell anybody <laughs> and he was like that was some of my best work that was one of my most genius projects he just, like, is absolutely intolerable. And, like, whenever anyone, like, says anything, he, like, claims that they're sabotaging him and they're idiots and they're evil. And so he starts this rad email list where it's basically everyone he's ever met in the entertainment industry and his life. Like, his dad and his sister are on this email listserv. Um, and, like, his lawyers, his, you know, like, the producers of that show that got canceled because his ages, he was just and then, intolerable. Like, paparazzi, like, uh, other okay celebrities. And so he would just send out these email blasts about, like, his thoughts, his feelings, who he was mad at, what he ate. Like, it was just, like, these unintelligible rants that he would email to, like, 
everyone he's ever met like constantly like some oh, constantly like he would send several a day sometimes he would be mad at his sister and he'd be like i'm gonna kill myself fuck you cindy and like send it to like <laughs> send it just a wme <laughs> <laughs> um he was like truly unhinged at that point and like at that point they were just like i guess with these emails we have enough proof to get him Basically what happened is because of the emails, they like the people in his life, like printed them all out. Most of the jackass guys and his sister and his dad didn't even go to his intervention because they were like, he's going to be mad at us or something. I mean, they must have hated him at that point. He was so awful. It's one thing to be. I mean, he literally never did anything for them and they did so much for him. And then can you imagine those emails? I mean, those emails were insane. He'd be like, my sister's a dumb slut. And then send that to like his entertainment lawyer. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, I think that they, like they said, they didn't go for his own good or because it wouldn't have helped or something. But really, I think they just like couldn't stand him. And nobody could stand him. One of my favorite things is in the opening. He talks about how, nobody's ever liked (laughs) literally nope and they have like testimonials from all the jackass cast they're like yeah we met him we tried to get rid of him for a while but then we just realized there was too much money to be made off so we just were like if we could get through it quickly that'd be fine and then he talks about how because he can never turn it off johnny knoxville when they were on the tour bus would like lace him with like vicodin and xanax to try to get him to calm down or fall asleep yeah they would like put vicodin in his food so he would shut the fuck up and and it like didn't he like could not be tranquilized (laughs) (laughs) he's literally like a monster from like a marvel movie (laughs) he's like a gremlin (laughs) he just starts screaming faggot at the stewardess and you're like please 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 stop stop. um it was his big thing was rubbing blood okay it's opening tour his trick was that he could eat glass and breathe fire. So he would do this thing where he would eat glass and cut his tongue off and then take the blood and rub it all over his face and body. And that was something he did every night. <laughs> <laughs> like that was his opening line. What a psychopath. Um, yeah, he does stand up now. Um, <laughs> can I say, I, so yeah, at the end he talks about how he gets into stand up. And, <laughs> and for a minute I was like, God, fuck this asshole. And then I thought, no, actually, he has done what I would never do. Like he has worked harder than me. Yeah, he does want it. That he he does want it more than I want it. Blood on his face every night. Um, I wouldn't. I would not. Anyway, so he has these ratty emails that basically the Jackass team, like his buddies from Jackass, who at that point I guess just like care about him not dying. Oh my god! Um, can I actually read the quotes from when he re- writes his yeah. final email where he basically he's like, "I'm throwing a huge party, come!" And then nobody would come. Literally nobody would come. Yeah. And he kept begging people, and finally he was like, "I'm gonna kill myself at the party." Oh, and also at this point, um, I think that day also he has so he rents four units in one apartment building. One for him, one for his office, one for his assistant, and one for, like, his, like, full-time videographer because he likes to have everything he does documented on film in case he, like, does cool tricks or something. And he would just, like, cause such a ruckus and so much noise. And he had a neighbor who would complain because he um, hated that he lived next to Steve-O because Steve-O was, like, loud. And Steve-O would just, like, point speakers and blare music into his house at 3 a.m. just like because he was mad that this then, guy was like can you make this a livable environment and at one point he punched a wall punched a hole through their adjoining wall oh yeah I mean he was insane okay I would like to read this e- this email blast that went out to the rad email listserv 
Um, oh, it's because he got evicted. And so this was oh, an yeah. eviction party. Nobody would come to the eviction party. So he sent this. By the way, his email at the time was stevenglover420 at yahoo.com. Hilarious. Like, what a fucking loser. Okay. Subject, I promise. And then this is all caps. Oh, wait. Okay, sorry. Oh, my God. I forgot that he got. Okay. Sorry. This is actually from the day before. From Stephen Glover 420 at yahoo.com. Subject, a bullet in the head. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry. To (laughs) Abdallah, who was his friend who he he had done so many whippets that he was like hallucinating all the time. And he thought his friend Abdallah was an angel. He said, I'm in the worst pain I've ever felt. I can hear my mother crying. This is so bad. Please squash this in 4D. Love, Steve. Which doesn't sound, which sounds sad, but whatever. Oh, yeah. He thought he'd discovered multiple dimensions. And my favorite thing is that he kept, okay. Um, And so he said... I have attached five YouTube clips of the email that I described as the fruits of my spiritual digging. And then I wrote to a separate note. uh, He wrote a separate note to his dad and his sister, but at the bottom of this email, this suicide attempt email, if viewing the following clips doesn't ease the discomfort, your pointless worrying about me causes, then let me know. And I will absolutely quit letting it bother me. I am not what is broken. You are. I had the serenity to accept that, which I cannot change. And just like I did when I left mom's house earlier after her aneurysm to set out to make her proud of me, I will walk the fuck away from you and your ability to see nothing good about shit and waste your life to worry and fear. I don't live in fear. And I mean that very, very sincerely. I gave up eating, wearing any meat other than fish. So did my girlfriend. I've been working with my girlfriend on having a healthy relationship with her family and her. I've been the utmost professional in my career. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> do mind everybody in his career is getting this email <laughs> and if and if you guys can't see anything good in that then i will officially fucking give up on trying to make you proud please give these following youtube clips from youtube a great deal of attention completely undivided attention and give some serious thought to this idea you could have very very easily lost a son brother yesterday so then nobody responded <laughs> to that and so then he followed up and said i promise that i will know how many bones get broken in a 25 foot fall onto fucking concrete if someone doesn't at least bring cardboard boxes or fucking trash cans i'm ready to fucking die this is because one of his <laughs> things was if he he was going to ride a motorcycle outside of his window onto the next door roof <laughs> so okay so the, i mean it's not funny it's kind of funny but it's also sad because he's like making a serious suicide attempt to his entire business listener <laughs> but he did it all Often, and they were like, he's not. But what makes me laugh is the response. So he has quotes from the people in his life. So here are some quotes from his girlfriend at the time, Brittany, and then Johnny Knoxville. Brittany says, he was texting me and texting me, saying he was going to commit suicide, that I was driving him crazy, and that I was cheating on him. And I was like, I'm working. I can't be on my phone. He was just freaking out. I was 3,000 mi- miles away, so I started forwarding the text to his personal assistant. <laughs> So it's his girlfriend. And then Johnny Knoxville goes, it's funny because his failed suicide threat essentially wasn't that dangerous. (laughs) He was going to jump this mini motorcycle to the apartment next door. There was a 25 foot fall, which sounds like fuck that could be heavy, but it was literally about four feet between his apartment and the apartment next door. He had that, (laughs) but he was in such a state that something could have happened accidentally. It was just the thought of him saying, I don't care if I die or not. And then, Oh yeah. Can you bring some boxes in case I fall? (laughs) So even in his suicidal threats, there were safety precautions. That's what led me to think, boy, maybe this is more of a cry for help. Insightful, Johnny. So they have a, finally an intervention that is. Yeah. So basically they print out all of these emails. They don't even really have an intervention. They just go to his house and tell him that he has to come. They tell him that they're going to filming, but no one brings cameras. And so they just take him to rehab and they are like they take him to the hospital. And with they the emails, they're him. able to get him held on the psychiatric hold. 
Okay. Um, yeah. And then it gets changed to like a 5750 or 5250, which is a two week hold. Mm-hmm. Um, and then from there, he's taken to rehab. And from there, he gets sober and then realizes he is getting sober for the wrong reasons. And then he re gets sober for the right reasons. And then he does stand up. Then he does stand up. And now he's just like me and Ashley, but successful. Um, and then he like has some veiled versions of growth or whatever. But like, I don't know. My thing that I told you is like this book is 300 pages of him talking about all the shit he got away with. And then 10 pages of him saying how he is a better person now. And it's like, I don't know. It seems like you're really proud of that time. Like it's the exact same as Portia de Rossi. Like she wrote an entire book about how great she was at being anorexic and then like 10 pages about how like now she's not anorexic and so it's better and it's like I think you're really proud of your destruction yeah I mean it's just hard like I want to have sympathy that he's obviously an addict but it doesn't even seem like the evil things he did came out of his addictions but she came out of his anger and like at one point he talks about how he started calling all of his fans pigeons and spitting on them and if they came close to him he would try to fight them and call them like losers or whatever yeah and he was like it's because I hated myself so much at the time that I thought anyone who looked up to me must be lower than me and I was like I don't actually think that's what it was like it really I you do just sound so entitled like I mean was, the way he would like scream at stewardesses the things he did and he was then, deeply entitled and then to like sum it up in 10 pages of like and now I've understand that I was a bad person then it's like it I don't know dude I mean I just feel like like I get that he was an addict and I mean god bless I hope he changes but I just think like he did he had a lot of years of like really ruining people's lives yeah like, really ruining people's lives and and he's I don't know so it's gonna take remorse. the rest of his like he's gonna have to spend the rest of his life not ruining people's lives and trying not to in order to start making amends and it's like I don't think he deserves forgiveness really like yeah I guess he he doesn't deserve to die and by that statement like I hope he uses the rest of his time to do more good than evil but like I find nothing redeeming about him yeah and I he guess hurt that so many people he hurt so many people he hurt so many people and like that's the thing is he's soberly writing this book you know what I mean he's soberly creating this narrative where he is still inserting these justifications for that behavior and shows no true remorse and so I it's mean, like like throughout the book one of the weirdest things is every time he talks about a stunt that was too fucked up to get to air he'll be like, here's what you could google though in order to find it on youtube like he keeps like that's he's, like he's so proud of it he's like find it on youtube you'll find it it'll be funny check it out like he literally tells you to check out his clips on youtube like 30 times in his own memoir and it's just like get a grip i don't know i don't like him i really don't like him he's horrible to other people um Anyway, let's get to some of the other people in the book because I just real quick because I think those are some fun stories. These are like famous people that he's bulldozed for I mean, his so own So here fame. are people that he hurt, fucked over. Kat Von D and him, I guess, had a little connection. They loved each other a lot. And then when they broke up because obviously he was abusive to her all the time. Um, when she broke up with him, he went onto his MySpace page and did a whole rant about how she was anti-Semitic. <laughs> and then he's like, I feel bad about that now. Another thing, I guess Nicole Richie had just gotten out of an engagement. I can't remember to who, who was she engaged to back then? Um, I think DJ AM. Okay. Thank you. And I guess they started being friends and he like purposely would mislead the paparazzi into like, pro- uh, saying that they were dating to the, and she would say to him she's like look I'm in a bad place right now I just need a friend and he would like use her for publicity and then pretend that they were dating Mm -hmm. and she was like I'll never speak to you again 
Paris Hilton was really nice to him, invited him to her private birthday party, flew him out, like treated him was like a good so friend. so sweet to him. And then he like did a stunt with her and got her to sign papers. And then her lawyers were like, get the fuck out of well, here. He, so she had been pulled over or something like she was in a car with someone who got pulled over for drunk driving. And he went on Jimmy Kimmel and was like, I gave her whippets right before that. Oh, yeah. And, like totally sl- slower, uh, slowed her out. Yeah. Lindsay Lohan was his friend. He literally like blackmailed her into signing a release form of them doing drugs together because she left his wallet her wallet at his house she was in rehab at promises rehab he drove to her and in the driveway basically was like you can have your wallet back if you sign this release i mean it's insane i mean these are really fucked and he would talk about how he would like specifically get involved in anything online to like start drama and be associated with a celebrity just so that he could get more fame. He would insert himself into every story and he had a platform because Howard Stern like thought he was crazy and interesting. So he was always on Stern. He was always on love line with Dr. Drew on K rock. And so he like had these random platforms to like go on and just like insert himself into narratives. And all he wanted was to just like get more famous. And then I don't know. Here he is writing a book about it. So um, I like really don't think he's changed. Do you <laughs> do you want to talk about your Dr. Drew theory and then we'll wrap it up? Oh, I think Dr. Drew is like the sickest of them all. I really think that Dr. So he talks a little bit about how Dr. Drew was really helpful to him. And first of all, I think Dr. Drew is a doctor in the way that Mickey Mouse is a mouse. You know what I mean? And that they're not that. <laughs> I, was trying to- I mean, if you subscribe to our Patreon this week, I'll tell you my personal story of dr drew yeah but anyway so like i'm trying to think of whatever so i just think that doctor he talks about how dr drew basically invited him onto celebrity rehab before he had um and like i think this is when celebrity rehab was first starting and he tells dr drew he's like i would never degrade rehabilitation in that way but really he's like First of all, I do think that's kind of true. Like rehab shouldn't be a show. And second of all, I wasn't ready to get sober at the time. And um, then Dr. Drew was there for like one of his worst nights. They're at like a K-Rock um, event and Steve-O is just like super fucked up on stage. And Dr. Drew gives him a ride home. And he's like, Dr. Drew was so understanding and always there for me. He was like a total rock. Like even that night after the K-Rock thing, I had left my drugs at the venue and he drove me home. And I was like, I forgot my drugs at the venue. He took me back to the venue to get them and then drove me home again. He was so non-judgmental. And I really don't believe that that's non-judgmental. I believe that Dr. Drew was just like fanning the flame until he got to be the one to pick up the pieces for publicity. Like he and Dr. Drew are two peas in a fucking pod. Oh, my God. Sorry, that made me think of the thing actually I want to say last before. Okay. Um, one of the things that blew me the fuck away was that there were three producer directors on this. Jeff Tremaine, Johnny Knoxville, and Spike Jones. Oh, yeah. <laughs> is this common knowledge to other people? I think it is because we aren't jackass people, but I think it's like pretty well known that Spike Jones is like a founding member of their so society. He- like goes back and forth between the movie her (laughs) and jackass no i think that he like did jackass and then the movie her and well now they're doing another jackass yeah but is he still involved i don't know he helped film the third jackass well that was jackass 3d that was a big deal (laughs) okay he also helped film jackass 2 remember they made them like fall down that bridge in a it's like like Jackass 2 had a $750,000 budget and it was like $700,000 went to filming 
the opening and closing scene directed by Spike Jones, and then the other fifty thousand dollars went to the rest of the film. Yeah, <laughs> that's so funny. Yeah, I honestly don't really understand his. I never watched Jackass, and reading this book was like, why would anyone watch Jackass? It like really is the peak of like people who suck. <laughs> It seems horrible. Yeah, I want to watch that. Well, I asked Matt because he's like a twenty-six-year-old boy. Yeah, and well, he's, but he's different. He's Canadian. Yeah. Well, I did ask him. I said, "Did you watch it?" They and watch he, hockey. That's like Canadian jackass, and it's dignified. He said that it was like too, he was too squeamish. He doesn't like like watching people roll around and poop and like bleed. I don't like that at all. He's like, I don't like watching people puke and bleed. So it was like not my show. <laughs> I like had no idea it was that disgusting and now that I do know I'll definitely never see it but like my I just like who liked if you liked the show Jackass please write in and no judgment I really am just curious about do it anonymously appeal. because we'll do a question box on Instagram yeah. I like really want to know the I don't get it all right, you guys, this was so fun listen to our Patreon I'll do my yeah we'll my Dr. Drew scoop and it's actually a good scoop oh I can't wait for the scoop bye